You are now listening to the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. Wait, the answer was add 10 gallons? Add 10 gallons. My first thought was we got to put active children. Yeah, great. <laughs> Trucks on the, on the way. On the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I've got two observations, uh, neither of which are really educated or well thought out. <laughs> <laughs> Which are like most of my observations are. There aren't a lot of problems on a job site that can't be solved with a sack full of biscuits. Today's episode of the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast is brought to you by Actigel 208. Actigel 208 is a high-performance additive for the concrete industry that is greatly beneficial to the producer. It enables them to increase the percentage of manufactured sand by up to 100% and completely replace all the natural sand in the mix. In areas where natural sand is scarce, inconsistent, and expensive, this provides a huge benefit to any ready-mix company out there. Benefits of manufactured sand and concrete include consistent air content, improved compaction, and increased density. Now in the past, the downside of using manufactured sands was that they were hard to pump, hard to place, and hard to finish. Well, Actigel 208 solves all those issues. By improving suspension, stability, and the quality of the cement paste in the mix, Actigel overcomes the old issues with manufactured sand and leaves them behind. Let Actigel 208 improve the quality of your mix while saving money on every yard you produce. For more information, visit us at actigel.com. That's A-C-T-I-G-E-L.com. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another installment of the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. We appreciate you being with us. I'm joined by the boys, as always, Paul and Joey. Paul, what's going on, man? I'm doing great, brother. Thanks. Good. Joey, what's up? I'm good, brother. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's get into it. Uh, It's college football season. We're going to get to that first and foremost because we know what's important. And (laughs) the more things change, the more they stay the same. Tennessee feels great about beating a subpar opponent. (laughs) <laughs> Arkansas plays down to their competition and barely beats somebody they should have blown out. And Alabama's mad because they let the opponent score. <laughs> it's it's like there was no offseason. We're right back to last year. That was the best synopsis of the weekend I've heard from anybody. That was perfect. Well done. Yeah. We'll see if anything changes throughout the season. It'll probably just stay the same throughout the season, too. Very likely. I'm just hoping for five or six wins. Maybe we get to a bowl game because we have a tough schedule. Did you? Arkansas's next game is Texas. Did you see the line? Ooh, I'm curious. What do you think it is? Texas by six. Six and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm yes. surprised. It's close. I think. I think Arkansas beat them. What? Mm-hmm. What? Okay. Early on, in the, early down. in the year, Texas is, is always good for a letdown. No, game. no, no. They're back. I heard from reliable. <laughs> <laughs> Some about the orange and white teams. They back every year. <laughs> Well played. Well played. Yeah, I know they're back, but they're only back after they drop a loss early in the year to a team they should have blown out. Uh, it used to be Maryland for the last couple of years, and uh, now it's going to be Arkansas. Oh, speaking of Maryland, God. Mm, they're going to be fun to watch. They looked good. Yep. That offense, anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're going to have to score 40-some points, I think. But uh, That was the only bet I got right this weekend. I know. Yeah, you, you whiffed on LSU. Yeah, what? Well, who saw that coming? I didn't. Coach O, I, I don't know. He's not really playing with his recruits yet. Oh, BS. Listen. Okay. I saw the best comparison for Coach O. Unbelievable. Listen to this. He's Gene Chiswick. And I, I saw it too. Yep. In a purple shirt. Yep, Unbelievable. Yep. 
rides a Heisman-winning superstar quarterback with a couple good skill players to a national title and then falls off a cliff. Yeah, I saw that too. Who, who put that out? Clay Travis, I know, said it. It was. It was Clay That's Travis. Where I heard it anyway. Post. Was it really? Yeah. Oh, it almost seemed too smart for Clay. Coming in with the hot takes. Oh, man. Well, yeah. I knew it wasn't my idea, but it was brilliant. It was, he was in Knoxville on Thursday, and then he was at mm-hmm. the uh, – where, where Georgia and Clemson play. Was that Charlotte? Charlotte. Yeah. Did they play in Charlotte? And then yep. he's going to be yep. at the Texas-Arkansas game this weekend. So mm, I didn't know that. That's pretty rad. Is Texas-Arkansas going to be at Dallas Stadium? I believe so. Cowboys Stadium. Yeah. It usually cool. is, isn't it? Well, they usually play A&M there. Oh. I'll have to go back and look. I don't know. I just couldn't believe the line was six and a half. I, I thought Texas. Sorry, I thought Texas would run away on you guys. But you think Arkansas is going to win? Bre- yeah, I mean, break it down. You were starting to break it down earlier. No, I mean, it, it. It's a gut. It's a gut feeling. I don't have any in-depth analysis for you, um, and it's probably a homer bet. It'd be interesting to see which way the line moves. So you're saying, don't put my mortgage. I'm not going to bet on it. <laughs> <laughs> I watched about five minutes of football on the uh, on the plane from plane ride from Maine Sunday. That was the Notre Dame FSU. Turned out to be a good game. Yeah, yeah I lost did. money on that one too. Took ND. Yeah, took Notre Dame. Yeah, I thought I didn't think FSU's quarterback was actually going to be that good. There's a kid from UCF. Turns yeah. out he's freaking awesome. Notre Dame has taken my money so many times. I don't bet on them either anymore. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. Hey, Joey, uh, you were flying back from Maine. Tell the people where you were. Yeah, went up to the Canadian border in Maine. Went bear hunting for a week. Uh, did not kill a bear. Had a bear about 20 feet behind me when I was up in a tree. Couldn't turn around and get a shot at him. But two guys in camp got bear. Another guy shot at one. And another guy was real picky. He was looking for a great big one. So he saw a bunch of bear and didn't, didn't shoot any. And I heard a few more bears, and then I, that one was behind me. But it's, I heard bears because if uh, anybody that's ever been bear hunting, I don't know how many of our listeners have been bear hunting, but uh, they sound like somebody tiptoeing through the woods in their socks. I mean, it's super, it's eerie because, you know, they don't sound like a deer that's prancing through the woods. They don't sound like a squirrel rummaging around like they're sneaky. So it was pretty, it was pretty cool to just hear them walking around in the woods, but come home empty-handed not totally empty-handed my buddy uh, that wrote that flew with me he let me have some bear meat and i got some moose meat from the guy uh, that took us up there so and i got some fresh salmon so came back with full coolers it's worth it for the salmon for me yeah we we checked two coolers one cooler weighed 70 something pounds the other one weighed 98 so we had full coolers hopefully you're flying southwest so those are free uh, well, it's free up to 50 pounds. So between 51 <laughs> and 100 pounds, it's 75 bucks a piece. But mm. that's in, that's if you're, you know, your four bags, you know, between the two of us, four bags flew for free, and we just had to pay the overweight charge. Now, I remember back in my day, the overweight fee was $35. <laughs> <laughs> it's still cheaper than shipping that mess. Certainly. In the meantime, you're just sitting up there watching grass grow. Yep, that's hunting for you. The weather was good though, man. It was uh, it was in the mid sixties up there for the high, so there you go. I was loving that. All right, well it seems we all had pretty decent weekends or our Labor Day weekend. Um, but what's what's going on in the concrete world? What are you guys saying? Well, 
I found a pretty interesting uh, article that came out in the uh, website forconstructionpros.com. They were talking about like a reality show about concrete. So it was kind of in the vein of like Forged with Fire from the History Channel or, or one of these type of... Uh, it actually kind of was like a... Almost like a cooking show, but it was uh, project-based. And so you had teams of two people against another team of two people, and they would had to compete in a series of events. Uh, and the winner stays and loser goes home, try to advance to the last episode of the show. Uh, so there's several teams competing over all these episodes and uh, just different skills challenges. So building retaining walls with a 72-hour cure, and then dude takes a sledgehammer to it <laughs> to see if your retaining wall <laughs> was right. worth the dang. But anyway, it's called uh, Concrete Combat. Hmm. I, I mean, I'd watch it. I don't, I <laughs> but, <laughs> but my opinion is pretty biased at this point. Yeah. Uh, put on by Sackcrete, of all people. Okay. Yeah. We actually went in with, like, legit cameras, legit made a reality game show essentially out of pouring concrete right yeah right so essentially they took the same approach as we did with this podcast they're like yeah how do we get how do we increase brand awareness and overall popularity how do we get in front of people without your typical ad Mm -hmm. yeah exactly so they threw up a tv show on youtube essentially Hmm. uh still going so they're releasing a new episode every week. Okay. So you go to Sackcrete's YouTube channel to watch the episodes. And the uh, grand finale is scheduled to be filmed live. World of Concrete 2022 in Las Vegas. Wow. Heck yeah. Might have to check that out. That's pretty cool. I like it. I love I love the idea. I love the innovation. I like doing stuff different. Because it people don't look at print ads anymore. People scroll right past ads on social media. Because you can see them coming from a mile away now. Um, so, yeah, you got to do something different to get your name out there and to to drive clicks, to drive page views, whether it be YouTube or your actual website. you got to do something different. That's awesome. I love it. Mm-hmm. Why didn't I think of that? Right? <laughs> I don't know. Like, one of the challenges was to resurface and repair one square of a damaged concrete sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And so you had to fix all the cosmetic defects and everything. And, you know, judges went in, marked up the concrete to be as realistic as possible. And uh, when they did it, like, they got criticized. Like, the judges were over there on the side being like, that is not how you fix a sidewalk. Really? (laughs) Talking smack. Just like one of these cooking shows or something where they're like, oh, I don't know what he's doing over there. (laughs) Yeah, you got to interject some kind of drama in there, it seems like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People like it. That's really cool. Yeah. The uh, the article has a pretty funny quote where the guy says, the judge walked up and he was like, now you know that ain't right. And he goes, what's that? He goes, everything. <laughs> 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 so, yeah. So, anyway, uh, new episodes out every month for that. So, you see that on Sacrete's YouTube channel. Very cool. Sacrete coming in with the production value. Now, I'll say this about production value and uh, uh, people being paid actors when they probably shouldn't be. Everyone listening here needs to go to the Add 10 Gallons YouTube page to see the recent marvel of cinematic excellence that you three boys put together. Yes, sir. Paul, Joey, and myself, we put together a little, uh, a little, a little short, a little, what was it, three and a half minutes? 
Yeah, something like that. Yeah, a little short video clip telling all you people how ActiGel 208 can help increase the percentage of manufactured sand that you use in your ready-mix concrete in order to save you money on every yard produced. And we came in with some prime, prime <laughs> comedic value there. <laughs> on brand. It's very on brand, yeah. Yeah, you won't get bored. It's the beginning of the Ad 10 cinematic universe. <laughs> yeah, we're building an empire over here. Our CEO saw the video, and his only comment was about Joey's character. <laughs> really? <laughs> Can we say what that comment was yeah. on air? <laughs> yeah. He said, put your hard hat on the right way. <laughs> I could appreciate that. <laughs> Very corporate response. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. As long as they said we could post it, we didn't waste a whole day. <laughs> Literally a whole day. I'm fine. But I'm happy with it. And you guys should go check it out on our YouTube channel. Search Add 10 Gallons Podcast and you'll find it. Mm-hmm. All right, Josh. What would you bring to the table to talk about? <clears throat> Something not near as interesting or entertaining, I should say, as a, a TV episode about concrete. But if you're into boring stuff like watching grass grow, now instead you can watch concrete grow. Um, Because some guys at the MIT Concrete Sustainability Hub uh, found a way to use Raman, R-A-M-A-N, Raman (laughs) Microspectroscopy. (laughs) You want to try that one more time? Yeah. Found a way to use Raman, R-A-M-A-N, Microspectroscopy. Son of a Today, Junior? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Could not do live TV. <laughs> Couldn't do it. Can't do it, won't do it. Owl now, brown cow. <laughs> Microspectroscopy. <laughs> Microspectroscopy. Micro, micro. Oh, yeah, what What did that do? <laughs> Mike, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get one here. <laughs> Thank God I'm good at editing these f***ing <laughs> things. I hope you leave the whole thing in. This is... Primo content. Well, thanks to my potty mouth, I can't. You guys can bleep it out if you want to eat an Instagram blooper reel. <laughs> Microspectroscopy. Uh, to get a closer look at the specific dynamic chemical reactions that take place when water hits cement. What it does is it creates an image by shining a high-intensity laser light on material and measuring the intensities and wavelengths of the light as it's scattered by the molecules themselves and kind of creates a three-dimensional image from that. So this kind of uh, imaging is often used to characterize biological and archaeological materials. Uh, So it's already used in some elements of science, but now they can use this to observe and sample the way ordinary Portland cement reacts when it's placed in water. So are these um, samples being examined like as the crystals are growing not just after they've already grown correct yeah up until now you could observe these crystals after they're grown or while they're grown but just as a snapshot and now with this imaging technology you can see the process real time Mm. as a movie instead of a picture that's cool yep yep so they're going to look at at using this technology to kind of observe the way cement hydrates with certain additives and how it gives off carbon emissions, of course, because 
they tied this into a green study so they could get funding, likely. But then, you know, they're also going to be able to look at how it reacts with other additives and things like that and kind of get a sense of how uh, a mix will, will hydrate and gain strength before it actually goes out into the field or even gets the lab testing. So it's, it's, a, it's a more expensive way to be efficient, so we'll see if it actually makes a difference long term. But being from MIT and being that they said, hey, we can cut down carbon emissions with this, they got funding to do so, so we'll see what comes out of it. Mm -hmm. At, if nothing else, some really cool pictures will come out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, without further ado, let's get into our guest here. We have Lee Thrasher from Command Alcon. Lee is a CIM grad. He's an OG, actually. He was part of the very first CIM class there at Middle Tennessee State University that also houses the program that Paul and Joey went to. So yet again, here I am, the black sheep, interviewing somebody that went to a program I didn't. <laughs> but still cool, as long as y'all still like me. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah, but, and Lee gives us an accurate history of the beginning of the program. Uh, he reached out to us and said, hey, uh, you know, I love what you do to talk about the program, um, but there's a beginning to it that you guys haven't discussed and he came on and enlightened us about what that really looked like what it was about and uh, we'll have some more to share later about some photographs he sent us and other stuff yeah, really good yeah yeah really he's got a, a class photo of the original members there that we'll put up on our instagram and facebook pages um which is you know nostalgia is always cool uh, and he also gives one of the best, maybe maybe in the running for the best, craziest thing you've ever seen on a job site story. That's at the end. So stick with us till the end of the interview here with Lee Thrasher. And without further ado, we'll get into it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so for this episode of the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast, we bring Lee Thrasher in here from Command Alcon. Lee, how's it going, man? It's going great, guys. Good to be chatting with you. Yeah, we, we really appreciate you being on here. I'm also joined by Paul Finley, of course, and uh, we're going to talk with you about uh, a little bit of everything. You've been in the industry for a little bit of time now. You've had a couple different jobs that actually vary quite a, quite a bit uh, as far as your roles and responsibilities, and we're going to talk about how you got there. But uh, first, let's talk about how you start, because obviously you're a CIM grad. It's uh, everybody but me on this podcast is a CIM grad. So <laughs> <laughs> what, what were your years that you spent in, in that program? So the program officially kicked off in uh, 1996 with uh, Chris and Alan as the first two students that signed up. The first actual class was the fall of 97. And I signed up that, that summer in July. Um, the guy that I was working with, a good friend of the family, was running a concrete construction company. And through a wild series of events in my distinguished career at MTSU to that point, I was sitting out a semester trying to save money to go back and he said hey, have you heard about this concrete program and i said well yeah a little bit because i had a construction management class the fall of 96. bob elliott came in and talked to us and told us about it so i was aware that they were going to get something new started and bob told my mentor bob newton told me that you know uh, it's going to be great the industry is really supporting it it's a fantastic industry and you got a knack for this stuff you know i, I think you'd do real good at it and that's when I was doing the heavy highway paving. I was going to pick on Joey a little bit about that, running string lines. But uh, <laughs> um, I went back to MTSU and did a, a quick interview and, and talked to Dr. Keese and, and Ginger Corley, who was uh, the program administrator at the time because there was no faculty, there was no staff. 
it was just a program on paper pretty much so i started there fall of 97 there were seven of us in that first class uh, the dean of college of basic and applied sciences dr keese was actually our first instructor and officially on paper and he didn't know anything much you know he was not a concrete guy he's the dean of the college so he was bringing in the the original patrons group you know the four guys the bob elliott jim speakman ward poston and, and denny lynn so so those guys were our kind of our instructors and it was it was awesome it was cool it was kind of like uh uh, we got ready to, we, the PCA design and control book was our first textbook, like the first year and a half, really the whole time, but definitely that first year and a half. So Dr. Keese just started going through the book. We get a, we get to the chapter on aggregates. He says, well, let's just go to a rock quarry. So he'd get with the patrons guys and then go send us out to the rock quarry, you know, and we go hang out with those guys for a couple of class periods and learn about, you know, making little rocks out of big ones and then got ready to talk about cement let's go to a cement mill so take a yes. field trip you know it was just like we were hardly ever in the classroom we were always out doing something going to a concrete plant going to a quarry you know going to a job site it was it was amazing so that's that was in fall of 97 and brent and i went to denmark on an internship the summer and fall of 98 so a few more students had signed on that spring of 98 uh, started putting a class together and then we took off and uh, come back and Austin Cheney had been hired a couple of dozen more students had signed up it was like a whole different world for us at that point um, but uh, those last two years were pretty pretty impressive and pretty impactful going to a lot of industry events and stuff and then I graduated in May of 2000 with that first class there was 10 of us that graduated in 2000 um, seven or eight of us in May and then three or four in, in December Okay. Okay. So from your humble beginnings, did you, did you have a lab to work out of at that time or was that built as you were there or after you left? No, yeah. After I left. Yeah. They yeah. remodeled the building a couple of years after I left. So our lab, we would actually go to a concrete plant lab. We would actually go to a testing lab. You know, we did some work, um, some of the local labs there or, or would go to the lab at the rock quarry, you know, and, and do some stuff there. And then I was fortunate enough, the, the construction company I was working for was owned by Harper Industries, which owned Metro Ready Mix at the time. So I come off the paving crew and Bob sets me up to go in and talk to the guys at uh, Metro Ready Mix. And they have a, you know, now Smyrna Ready Mix, but they, ever since day one, they've had a great history of hiring students and giving them a platform to get real world as well as school. So I was the first student that they hired affiliated with the program and um, they put me as running or working next to the plant manager in the Murfreesboro plant there in the Hoover Rock Quarry. So I'd get out of class and I'd go to the plant and talk to the plant manager, Rick Moat, who um, at the time was there as a stepping stone to go on to being QC manager. And I, I moved with him into QC, but it was great because I could go to the plant and say, all right, Rick, here's what the book says. Here's what we studied in class. You know, why, why don't we do that? And he said, well, you know, that'd be great, but we, you know, this, this X, Y, or Z, you know? So I was able to get real world and book and, you know, what it could be all in one cycle of, of a year or two there. It's it pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, that, that works out good because you hear a lot of people that go through the program now and, and 
because of all of the resources, they actually might have less uh, job site experience. Not that they don't have any, and there's certainly internships, but it always seems like there's some sort of a learning curve with everybody when they realize that not everything on paper performs like it should. Uh, and most of the time it doesn't, rather. Sometimes it doesn't work at all. But there's always that immediate experience where it hits you in the face all at once. You're like, oh, man, <laughs> I better learn how to yeah. fix this stuff on the fly. Yeah, and it was really cool that the, the Metro ReadyMix plant at the time at the Hoover Quarry was a newer plant, had a brand-new Eagle batch system, you know, state-of-the-art. It, it was like the latest and greatest, but it was on the same property as the old plant that had been there since probably late 50s, early 60s. So if something happened the new plant went down, we'd have to run down to the old plant and batch. And that was one that had the big, massive uh, dial scales, the big hand levers, you know, and punch cards. And I was like, they don't teach this in school, man. What is this? You know, this is crazy. You mean people still do this? And Rick's like, yeah, man, there's a lot of plants still run like this. And then when I got out and got down into, you know, South Georgia, some of those plants were triple beam decumulizations scale type plants you know and the dispatcher i mean it the the visual doesn't work on a podcast but i mean you got the phone jacked up to his ear on his shoulder you know squeezed in there and he's working the levers and doing the admix thing and taking an order you know and writing it in chalk on the load beam of, of the plant right there in the trucks you know wound up to charging speed 15 feet from him at most you know and it i couldn't even hear myself think standing there much less take an order those guys were those were some amazing dudes back then. Yeah, it hits you when you first see a, a lever plant. Because, you know, hold, hold on a second. How much sand did you add there? It was a three count. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's amazing how, you know, when you get down to it, the three, two, one rule still kind of works. <laughs> in play. Yeah. But, yeah, that was, that was the early start, you know, getting in with the transition kind of between – uh, one of the phases of the industry kind of between old school and new school, you know, the industry was making a really, really big push at the time to get more broad base experienced people in the business, you know, and that's kind of how the whole program got going with the RMC 2000 initiative. A lot of, you know, the industry got together and created this degree. So they were the driving force the first several years for sure. You know, it took a long time, um, in in maybe not in university government administration world <laughs> time scales different but in the real world you know it took a while to get you know what are our textbooks going to be what what's the syllabus you know what's the actual curriculum outline and getting the curriculum approved and so you know austin cheney had several years there where he was sort of trying to wrangle all that and work with dr keith's administration and, and put the bones of a framework behind you know what this needed to be with the industry and the industry input constant, you know, with patrons and meetings and everything else was just, was just amazing. And he kind of built that backbone framework that Heather was able to come in. It's kind of like Austin poured the foundation and Heather built this amazing palace, you know, it was pretty cool. But that being involved in that foundation front, we probably dug it out and reported about three or four times. <laughs> right. 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 Well, uh, you know, since you left the, or after you left the program, um, you get your first job in a, in a ready-mix plant, is what I understand. And you know, where, do you, where do you go from there? How long were you there at your first job out of school? And then where did you transition after that? Yeah, I went over to the Carolinas briefly and worked for Unicon Concrete. That was the company that had given Brent and I the internship overseas. 
and uh, they convinced me to come over there and I was working with them as a plant manager, kind of an area, area manager in Mooresville, North Carolina, then transitioned to kind of help get a new plant built in uh, Charlotte market. Um, wasn't there very long, probably about a year, you know, as, as happens from time to time. It just, it just wasn't the right move, wasn't the right timing. So I uh, went down to South Georgia with Master Builders and, and loved it. Um, really enjoyed getting that training and that, that, that master builder swag going, you know, um, back then there, a lot of my mentors, a lot of guys that were around the program, uh, certainly supported by all the admix companies, but, uh, several of us went to master builders early on. That was, that was one of the first steps in the career. So we would go to the training, you know, and there'd be another CIM guy there. It's pretty, pretty neat. Um, spent, uh, four years there, just short of that. And then went to work for one of my customers, which was ReadyMix USA, and stayed with them for almost 13 years through all the different transitions of growth and acquisitions and things, and then made it through the Semex merger. So I, I stayed with Semex and in Atlanta running tech services there, doing master data and some other things, and then um, went to Spraylock for the um, last couple of years before joining Command Alcon. Got into a little bit of nanotechnology there with Spraylock and Colloidal Silica. Had a had a lot of fun. Great people there. Got to work with Brent again, uh, which is interesting. Since school and our internship, we, you know, diverged. Came back working for the same company in ReadyMix USA. Diverged. Came back working for the same company in Spraylock, and now we kind of diverged a little bit. But some of those, you know, you'll find your career interweaving with those folks you went to school with. Um, you know, here it is. You know, what two decades later, almost three from the time we started, you know, 15, and it's um, it's pretty cool. So, that is neat. So, for master builders in Spraylock, were you in sales or were you in, yeah, uh, okay? So, you've yeah. done a little mix of uh, managing plants uh, and building new plants and you know, selling materials, and, and you did some QC work as well. Um, what do you prefer? I like being on the innovation side, you know, that's really what led me to command Alcon. I, I like being, um, I, I suppose I gravitated towards tech, tech services more because although you had the, the, the complaints and the customer service you've got to deal with if you're in sales or operations or management or whatever, at least on the technical side, occasionally you got a, you got a little relapse to go play around and have some fun in the lab. At least to me, it was a lot of fun, you know, going in and seeing what you, what you could do with concrete. And what's the next best thing coming? You know, what's going to be the thing about concrete that really changes? Because like we were talking earlier, the three, two, one rule still applies to people. So how are you going to innovate? You know, and it's when you look at it as the second most widely used resource on earth and, and the number one building material ever, um, there's still a lot of things that are never going to change about it. And yet everything can change. So if, if you if you play around with it enough, you know, um, so that's been the, the one I've gravitated toward the most. What's what's the innovation in the industry? And what can you do with concrete as a building material that's going to be impactful for a long, 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 long time? You know, some of the oldest what? structures in the world are based on cementitious properties. You know, it's some of this stuff we've built. Um, if, if you if we could ever get away from engineered obsolescence, you know, it may be mm. stuff that four or five generations down the line can enjoy, which would be great. Don't get me started on playing obsolescence. I'll go on a tangent. <laughs> this will be a three-hour Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah, I mean, what, yeah, we what, don't want to do that. Yeah. What do you got, Paul? Well, no, now I want to hear what you have to say about engineered obsolescence. 
There's conspiracies everywhere. Conspiracies everywhere. Uh, you know, it's interesting. We ask that question sometimes. People's career arcs. What did they like the most? Nobody ever says QC. No. Well, it is. <laughs> well, I, you know, that's why I use the term technical services because you know, <laughs> when you're when you're just doing QC, you're a fireman, man. You're you're a first responder when you know blank gets hot. You know, you're you're putting out the fire. So if you can ever handle that job and have the support of the upper management and the resources put together to turn it into technical services where QC is a part of that, but also start being proactive like a fire marshal, you know, and then truly bring value to the business and find those innovations and find those things that, you know, your competition doesn't have and can bring more value to the bottom line and, you know, getting into your P&Ls and profit margins and all that. They're real headaches other than just putting out fires. So, yeah, I enjoyed that side of it for sure. We've said on here a bunch of times that uh, we love QC guys, and if we could build leadership teams, they would all be QC managers, if I could. They would have come from being QC managers and be uh, leaders in different departments. And the reason for that is because they're always putting out fires. And so they don't have this knee-jerk reaction every time something goes wrong to just scream the sky is falling. They're actually yeah. the other side of that. Where they're like, hold on. Well, the sky may be falling, but there may be a way to prop it up. Let's go prop it up. And, you know, those are the kind of people I like being with. Yeah, you got to be a special person to be in that business for sure. For sure. Or, or maybe you just learn how to be. Because if you're a QC manager for longer than a week, you realize that, like, every problem solvable. Just about, you know. I don't know if, I don't know if we solve them all because it, it, that's the cool thing about the concrete business. It's never the same thing, you know. It is, it is changing constantly. And um, shoot, just making it through a year of all somewhere. If you've got you know four seasons, you know we are going to get into the environment, you know environmental uh, conditions and how they affect concrete placement and concrete finishing. You know a lot of guys spend their whole career and, and don't ever you know have that switch flick in their head. You know same guy complains about accelerator not working. You know 17 years in a row. Uh, maybe it's you, dude. You know. <laughs> 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 it's hard to fight chemistry, man. Come on. You know, it, it's all Mr. perception. Folks at uh, CIM, Mr. Folks actually had a good way of putting it. He was like, you're always going to have problems because you're dealing with natural elements and natural materials. He's like, so the rock is going to change on you. The sand's going to change on you. The cement is a natural material. It's going to have natural fluctuations no matter how much we try to control for it. And then you got nature. So the wind's going to be different, temperatures, humidity, everything's going to be different, and you got to be prepared to deal with that and adjust with that. And I always thought that was a good way to approach it on the quality control side and the quality assurance side as well, is that if your plan is robust enough and your training is good enough, then you can make those adjustments on the fly and still have quality product. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned Joe Fulks. I He – he was running Metro Ready Mix when I started working there. And so then a couple of years later, when he comes in to teach, that was one of my final semesters. So we were in the first class that, that he got to teach. And um, he's, he got two lessons that, that hit with me. One was, and I don't, know if it's, I don't know if it's a true story or not, but I've retold it dozens of times as if it, if it were. But he said there was a guy interviewing Albert Einstein one time, and at the end of the interview, he asked if he could get his phone number to call him, you know, in case he had a question. And Albert said, I don't know what my phone number is. And the guy freaked out, you know. Well, the smartest guy in the world doesn't know his phone number. Well, he reached down and picked up the phone book. 
and looked up his name and read off his number. He said, it's not important that I know what's important is I know how to find it. And that was, you know, if you had Joe Fulks for a class or any other teacher like that, you know, that kind of resonated. So um, I thought, well, that, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty intuitive. And then a few class periods later, we were doing mass concrete talking about it. And I asked the question, could you, you know, effectively change your heating or cooling rate by changing your aggregates? Because does the specific heat change? We were doing the handwritten formula, you know, mm -hmm. and he said, I don't know. Why don't you go find that out, Albert Einstein? And I thought, oh, great, man. I spent like <laughs> seven weeks trying to figure out who in the world had ever researched specific heat of materials. So one day I kind of drag into the office at, uh, at Metro ReadyMix and said, look, man, I, I can't find anything. He went to a bookshelf and pulled out a 1929 guide to aggregates from the Army Corps of Engineers. And buried in that book was a study of like 170 different aggregates from across the country, lightweight, heavyweight, limestone, shales, granite, didn't matter. Every, they were in there, and they had the, the column where they checked the specific heat of every one of them. And they changed so little. He made me do the formula like 16 times with different aggregates, selected at random, and it made no change in the concrete temperature. So to this day, I can do all the mass concrete jobs and things we've done, you know, People ask about, well, what if you use lightweight? Well, what if you use heavyweight? Nope, nope. I'm, I mean, be the one guy I know from a tech services standpoint who actually knows that answer, thanks to Joe Fulks. Thank you very much. Rest in peace there, Mr. Fulks. I still <laughs> use what I learned that day for 20-some years later. Yeah, our favorite story is uh, when he sat up on that stool in the front of the class. That he says, uh, all right, you, uh, you're having cash flow problems. What do you do? You know, everybody, because we're all 20-year-olds. We don't know anything. We're raising our hands. Charge more money. He goes, now you done lost all your business. Wrong. You know, <laughs> somebody else says, well, sell more product. Well, if you could do that, you'd be doing it. Next answer, uh, collect from your customers. Maybe they owe you money. He goes, yeah, you think we ain't already tried that? No. What's the answer? <laughs> and uh, he sat up there with that. Uh, that grin that he got, and he say, uh, "Don't pay your bills." <laughs> <laughs> like what? He's like, he's like, "Yeah, that's a good uh, lesson in life. If you're that cash strapped, he's like, don't pay your bills." And he goes, "They're not gonna shut the power off tomorrow." He's like, "Collect on your customers, review your business model. There's a lot of things you can do, but in the short term, just uh, the power company will be all right." <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What about that? Uh, Oh man. Well that that brings us up to, you know, current time and what you're doing with Command Alcon, a, a big company um that's that's pretty nuanced. So what is your actual role there? Yeah, so I joined them just a few months back to be part of the Command Assurance sales team. So the Command Assurance product is just one of the many suites that we have, but it's the product that is the actual in transit load monitoring. It's the probe that goes in the hatch of the drum and takes readings on that fresh concrete as the the truck is in transit and it's linked into the track it system which is the gps functionality so you get a lot of other telemetrics and data from the load so you can check properties like temperature slump and soon to be air uh, volume of the load but you're getting the revolutions you're getting water added you know you're getting a lot of things that happen on that job site to give you a full picture window that just is a better way of 
um, tagging on to the established GPS technology that's out there. You take the new technology that can couple fresh load monitoring along with that GPS data, and now you have a real better understanding uh, and record of what happened in transit, because that's always been the mystery, right? Um, <laughs> to tag yeah. into nothing can be solved, you know, without uh, there's not a job site problem it can't be solved with a sack full of biscuits well you always wonder if that driver's going to stop and get a sack full of biscuits back in the day you know? <laughs> so it, it kind of takes those questions out of it you know uh, of course as a qc manager you don't want to you know you, it kind of takes away the ability to do a few things here and there but for the most part you know it's great to see that recordation of the load over and over and over again and especially in today's world when it is so incredibly difficult to hire, find, or find, hire, and maintain drivers that um, having something like this on the, on the truck takes a lot of that pressure and a lot of that learning that that CDL guy now has to do to understand concrete. Because it's not like hauling anything else in the world. You know, there's no other delivered product that changes in transit, you know, unless you're hauling ice cream and a reefer goes out. Well, it's you know, it's pretty simple. You just refreeze it. You can't do that with concrete. It goes bad, it's bad. So a lot of the new guys coming in, and I remember when I was, you know, training on a mixer as well, you know, the driving part's just the one piece. And now with all the, you know, great safety programs and things like that that are out there, uh, the advancement in the technology of the trucks, you know, automatic transmissions, things like that, it's, you know, it, you can you can have a CDL from other things, short haul, long haul, uh, other materials and come in and fit right in and be a great driver for a ready mix truck as long as you understand that load's going to change and shift and that's what intimidates a lot of guys so if you can get that piece in a in a way they can understand they can see you know you got the display screen on the back of the truck right there so they know what's happening with their load it just it's it's a great advancement in the industry and um there's still a lot of hatches out there without a probe in it so I'm I'm excited to be getting into that part of the business at this stage because I think it does kind of pull together all those different aspects of what I've done to this point. You know, I've got the operational management. I've, I've, I've drove a mixer a little bit, not much, but some, but been around those guys. Certainly been on the slump rack more times than I can count. Certainly trying to monitor and figure out, go back, put the pieces of the puzzle together. Well, you know, what happened on this job? You know, why did why did load set up too fast? You know, why did it flash set on them or why did it sit there forever? You know, and now you've got a capability to get those records in place. So you're not saying why and just, you know, wetting a finger and sticking it in the wind to try to gauge a guess. You actually have hard data you can look at and say, okay, well this, this is painting a picture here that we can understand. It's pretty cool. So I talked to someone in the ready mix business, uh, director of like quality control for a pretty big size company and they're using mm -hmm. one of these hatch technologies. I don't believe they have yours. I think they have your competitor. Uh, but his reasoning for why he adopted it was very interesting to me. He said that they have satellite plants that are very difficult to get their limited QC staff out to those plants mm -hmm. to constantly be slumping or checking air on these trucks. And since they don't have anybody out in these plants all the time uh, to be running that QC job, uh, they have the hatches on those satellite plant, the trucks that are at those satellite plants. Because now he can sit in his command center at the headquarters and he can see what's happening with those trucks. And he knows that if they make the proper adjustments, uh, and he knows this not because he's 
all knowing, but because they ran the test, they they saw, hey, this the truck was in transit for forty five minutes. It lost this amount of slump. So the next truck, they add a little extra high range or water or whatever they add, and he says, oh, okay, well, you know, this change happened, but then there's more things to correct, like uh, drum rotational speed. Maybe they were spinning a little too fast or not spinning it at all as they were driving down the road. And so there are these changes they can make, but they're making them because they can monitor the trucks as they're moving. And being able to monitor that keeps their QC staff on the bigger jobs centralized where they need to be. And for him to allocate his resources at his company that efficiently was a huge win for him. Uh, have you seen something similar going on with uh, the command assurance product? Is that something you've seen uh, oh, yeah. your customers benefiting from? Oh yeah, mo- most definitely. And that's one of the things that got my attention because, you know, I had a, uh, I had eight or nine technicians working for me in Atlanta, and if somebody complained about a load being too wet, slumped too high, if it was a high-demand customer, you don't have to divert a technician from the job he's already on to run over there and check it out, you know, and see what happened. And, you know, you never want to put your driver in that situation of Argon. You know, you want to kind of put a third party on it. So running those guys around like that was just crazy eating up time. And uh, we definitely see that with our customers of having – it's almost like having – someone to check, you know, slump air temperature on, on every single load all the time. Um, a lot of the customer testimonials on our website for our, our our users talk about that, how they can sit in the office or at their house in the middle of the night and, and monitor two or three pours at a time instead of having guys, you know, running around or just standing on a job site. If everything's going smooth, think about the wasted energy if everything's going right, you know. Then that, that QC guy has got limited value being out there um, if it's just a standard mix with, with, with standard kind of needs. So definitely a benefit. One of the things that caught me in one of our first customer tours was um, they in July they're running ice, and they can actually monitor that slump loss and temperature gain from the plant to the job in real time. So they're able to actually adjust the ice load and what their you know what their cost is there by just being able to see that data in real time so they're able to make adjustments just having the system monitor on there and not having somebody you know at the plant slowing down the truck taking a sample checking the temperature going to the job somebody at the job slowing down the truck taking a sample getting the temperature comparing notes guessing what happened in between and making things on the fly you can see it in real time so whereas a lot of times you just get a adjustment or a trim water setting and you just set it because you've got nobody out there and just kind of hope and cross your fingers that it holds up throughout the day with weather changes and everything else. Um, now you can do it off real data. It's pretty cool that way. It does take the place of a lot of having to have uh, QC staff on every truck. Very cool. Well, we love talking about technology and new technology within the industry here on this show. We do it every episode if we can. And most of the time, it's easy to do so. And it seems like right now you're you're riding that wave at command where everyone, there's multiple different companies out there and there's a lot of uh, ready mix companies that are, are interested in adopting this kind of technology for the aforementioned benefits. Um, and obviously command Alcon isn't the only one out there with this kind of technology. There's a lot of companies trying to 
trying to adapt and take advantage of this wave of technology. But uh, from your perspective, uh, for someone who's been in sales, what's the adoption rate like? How, how hard is it to talk somebody into investing in, in this type of technology? Well, it's definitely a, a, a big ask because anytime you do anything that touches your fleet, you know, it, you're not talking about just doing it two or three times like you might have planned or, or 10 or 12. I mean, you're talking dozens or hundreds of, of mixers out there. So it's a it's a big ask. And, and you really got to look at the ROI on this thing and see, does it fit your business model and what you're trying to achieve? Is it a great piggyback for other technology you've already adopted? You know, there's a there's a if you just look at technology as a whole, there's a lot of lot of things out there. So this may be just one piece of technology somebody's ready for, while uh, another ready mix operation is just now really getting good at, at GPS, or they're just really getting good at other truck systems or back office systems. So there's a there's a lot of platforms out there that 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 affect I think that. The answer to that question because there's a lot of the technology adoption curve is very high this particular technology there i think there's you know there's three major players in the u.s for for in in transit technologies right now and i think they're all on a pretty good growth curve i think i've been very impressed in my limited time with command so far the number of deals i've seen close relative to what was in the fire you know i don't know that i could put a percentage rate on it but it's it's been impressive. It's been impressive to see um, after a couple of conversation that that switch go off and guys can realize okay if they have A, B, and C, this is just the natural progression for them. This is D, and they want to get it. They want to be the first in their market to have it. Uh, it doesn't take long at all to start seeing your ROI. Um, some of the graphs and, and reportings and things that we have that you can go back and look show guys after two or three months they're starting to batch more effectively utilize trucks better on efficiency side a lot less lost loads um, conflicts that arose because of water ad or something like that holding truck on a job where they might have had a claim to pay out or goodwill to pay out is not having to happen so there's that money's um, not being spent uh, so it's a uh, it's it's pretty neat I, I feel like it is a wave i feel like it's just kind of getting started you know there's been some early adopters out there, but now I think it's the technology is certain, certainly stable and predictable enough to, to be able to have a much wider adoption. And I think that's going to happen in the next several years, because um, whether you're in, you know, a high demand commercial market, you know, downtown Atlanta, something like that, it makes a lot of sense. And if you've got a lot of those satellite plants and you've got a wide geographical area, it definitely makes sense, you know, to be able to see what's happening. So it's, it's, it's a fit for just about any size company. Yeah, so I really don't love talking about litigation <laughs> in the industry, <laughs> but yeah, but you you brought up something interesting that I hadn't thought about being able to go back to the records and say no, actually we didn't add a bunch of water to this or or whatever the the target may be that someone's challenging on why a load failed. Are these records stored in the cloud and forever so that? Anytime a job goes bad, the producer can go back and say, no, here's the exact data on this load from the time it was batched uh, to the time it emptied out. Our system, anyway, definitely operates off the cloud platform. So it's in there in the Connects um, platform, and you get that data through Insights. As far as how long that data is stored is kind of customer and situation specific. Forever is a long time. <laughs> it's, you know, um, but the... Uh, 
the information is definitely there and, and they can store it and they can have it. You know, one of the other um, cool stories I saw when I, when I first got going was looking at our existing customers. There's one right here in Georgia, uh, Wayne Davis. And in the first week of having probes on the job, uh, they got a complaint from a pump company that said, hey, you know, the load showed up wet. Austin was able to just pull it up right there real quick while he's on the phone with the customer on his phone or his tablet and see that they added 70 gallons of water. And he said, yeah, of course it's wet. You added 70 gallons of water to that load. That's why it's clogging the pump. Uh, click, phone hung up, and not another word about it. And those loads were paid for. So in a situation where in the past it would have been having to either run somebody out to that job to check on it, get into an argument over the telephone with nobody having real information or just biting a bullet and saying, okay, send it back, you know, and get the story from the driver when he gets back. Now he could look it up right there in real time and say, well, yeah, that's what happens when you add 70 gallons of water to a load. So those type of situations, you know, happen, gosh, every day, everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and now he's one of the ones that actually has um, real predict you know real solid information to say nope it didn't happen and you know it's good for definitely months on end so that you know you get a complaint on low breaks or something like that 30 days 60 days later you can go back and say okay well here's the history of what happened you're not just trying to scrounge through tickets and hoping a prayer that somebody you know scribbled some ink on a delivery ticket that's wadded up and got coffee spilled all over it and in the bottom of a file drawer somewhere you know now you've actually got it um in a way that's it's captured and and um, a lot more um, accessible, for sure. Definitely. Well, we talked about the the wave of technology here and how it's so beneficial to so many parties throughout the entire job site. But if if you can, what do you see that's coming next? Because as we've seen in technology and so many other industries, once you get that snowball rolling, it turns into an avalanche real quick. I mean, what what are you kind of seeing that's what are these probes going to turn into or what's on the the forefront of even more innovation? Well, you know, it was, it, it blew my mind a couple of years back, um, sharing a shuttle ride at ACI from, from the convention to the hotel to come back home. And a couple of guys that all knew each other were in there talking about automation, you know, and could it possibly happen in the ready mix business like it has in other industries. And they were talking about, you know, the value of that technical guy, that QC guy that had a broad base uh, understanding of the business. You know, you take a good operator and a mechanic, have somebody come in and open up a plant two o'clock in the morning. You get one guy, the QC guy, to drive the first truck to the job and map the route, you know, GPS-wise, if you've got a, you know, stable um, environment for that. And then the next five or six trucks are just coming on automatic. You know, they're, they got one or two guys at the plant loading them and making sure nothing goes wrong. And then that QC guy can take over batching from an, from an iPad or a tablet on the job as he sees fit. And somebody can just catch the truck at the entrance to the job, drive it in because the job site map always changes, right? You need somebody to actually unload and discharge the truck. That, that, that still needs to take place. But it could be that one guy on the job. You know, he's, he's checking the loads, making adjustments right there because he's on the job, talking to the customers, seeing what their needs are. You know, the, it's back then, you know, eight years ago or so when I heard that conversation, I was like, man, that's just crazy. You know, that's crazy talk. You can't, <laughs> you can't do that. Mm-hmm. But as it's progressed, especially the last three to five years, the advancements in the industry and systems and technology and, and process materials, um, 
and, and the shortage of labor, the shortage of the people who actually want to get in this business and do this job, um, the ones that do and the ones that are, are getting better at what they do. You know, you're, you're, you're seeing a, a, an elevation in the skill level and the professionalism and just the willingness to get things done, I think, in the industry and it's in a broader range of people. And I think that group of people coupled with the right technology, maybe it'll make something like that happen one of these days. You know, I don't know if I'll see it in my lifetime, but as fast as things have advanced, you know, you, you never know. It's a, it's a little daunting, you know, to think you've got something like a mixer truck going down the road um, on automatic. But, hey, um, it's it's certain the technology is certainly there to make it possible. And things like in-transit monitoring, um, just more systems along the way to gauge what it is you're selling, what it is you're delivering, make things like that possible. So from a ready-mix standpoint, I think more and more automation. You know, I know I've, I've been to plants that are remote batch, that nobody's at the plant when the truck pulls into load. You know, that's been there for years. Um, the, truck, the truck piece is the next piece. That's the most labor-intensive that's the most advanced, that's the most complicated, and the most unique thing about the ReadyMix industry is delivering that load in transit. And uh, I think we're on the cusp of seeing that become uh, much more advanced than it's ever been imaginable in the last 20 years. So we're going to have a Tesla ReadyMix truck. Yeah. Josh can tell you all about it. Got him a new Tesla. I love those things, man. I love yeah. them. <laughs> I didn't buy my Tesla because I think I'm saving the planet. I bought it because it's really, really fast. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of the coolest cars I've ever driven. And and I'm I'm a, a push rod V eight Chevy guy. I've been racing stuff ever since I was a kid and there's a time and a place for everything. But there's so many people on the roads nowadays and you know, that that supercharged Camaro, there just isn't much of a place for that anymore. Except for the racetrack, obviously, and I love that too. But yeah, the autonomous vehicles and um, self-driving stuff—it doesn't bother me. I actually, I actually trust technology to be more consistent than humans, um, and I think that might be a generational thing. Uh, and and as we see generations being phased out and replaced with people who are more technologically not technologically advanced, but just forward thinking towards that kind of stuff. And they're more willing to adapt to those kind of changes where, you know, something you might not have seen anymore, but the concept checks out. It seems like it should make sense. We'll roll with it. Um, again, I think that's what's going to further accelerate that snowball into an avalanche, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, we got people like Lee out there saying, like, you know, hey, th this is possible. We can do it, and we need to do it. There's so many benefits. Um so who knows? We might see we might see a concrete truck going down the road with nobody in it within the next decade or so. I hope so. I you know I I totally agree with you, and I think it's I think it's truly a matter of what's available. I I think if there's a shift in the population and the attitudes and the willingness of people to do less technical jobs and more manual jobs, more trade skill jobs for a living then that pool of talent will increase. And if you have a person that you could put in that mixer truck, that's probably what you're going to default to, right? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. you're going to, you're going to want to have somebody in there. And that's, 
that's what everybody would like to see happen. You know, traveling around the country and talking to Radio Miss guys and seeing all the different things everybody's doing. And just recently read the NRMCA report on um, mixer trucks and, and drivers report, the Commercial Driver Association report, things like that. You know, they've been trying to increase those numbers for decades now, and it just hasn't happened. I think right. because starting now, you know, kindergartners have got iPads in school and elementary kids got their own phone and stuff. It's just like everybody wants to gravitate toward working smarter, not harder. I'm not one of those people that thinks it's making everybody lazy. I, I, I think it's just a different mindset. And I think if you can tap into that and harness that and think, well, what's possible? What can we do with technology? Then you'll see that shift. And I think that's probably where it's going to go because I really don't think there's going to be something that can match that just emotionally and educationally to give that same group of people that same satisfaction of going out and driving a mixer truck, you know, and understanding a load of concrete. But they were going to be much more fascinated by that load of concrete because they got a display screen on the back of their cab that tells you what the slump is. They're not going to be scared to have to look at it and judge for themselves the way the rock's falling over the fins. Well, what's, what's that slump and is my customer going to yell at me? Well, now the customer's not going to yell at me because I'm delivering a six. And hey, cool! Look how cool that looks coming out of the back of the truck, you know. So if we, if the if the technology is harnessed the right way, it could be a job and a skill set that young people are going to want going to want, you know. Right. Wages are going up, benefits are going up. It, it's going to become an attractive position, and, and hopefully one day we'll be competitive again. It used to be guys get, wanted to get off a dump truck to go drive a ready-mix truck because you got paid more, and it was a cooler thing to do, and it was a better thing to do you know, in that realm of truck drivers. Now there's just so few general truck drivers, you can't distinguish between what's cool and what's not. So okay. I don't think, you know, I'm not one of these people that think that automation is going to take, take the truck driver's job. You know, we're almost 2 million CDL licenses short in this country alone. Everybody's buying more off of Amazon, you know. Um, yeah, we're going to stay away from politics, getting back into, you know, manufacturing things <laughs> in this country. So we'll, we'll cut that out. But, um, you know, the country's getting bigger. People got to eat. You know, you need that Amazon box on the front door. And... Uh, you can't ship to Amazon without the Amazon warehouses, and you can't do it without roads and bridges, and you got to have concrete for those things. So, you know, the need for drivers is never going to go away. It'll get answered somehow. Somehow that mm -hmm. vehicle will go up and down the road. Right, and whether it's completely autonomous or you got kids nowadays that might be interested in driving those concrete trucks from a workstation like you would fly a drone. Mm -hmm. You just got a you just got a kid in an office somewhere driving multiple ready mix trucks at a time through software programs. That's yeah. I think where cool I think in the I think in the cities where um, and I, I talked with a guy not too you know just a couple of years back. It was funny as a, as a follow up to the whole ACI conversation like seven years ago. Three, four years ago, I'm at a, a lunch and happened to be sitting with some guys at Oak Ridge. And one of their biggest things they were working on was cellular Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, near-field communication signals in a heavy-dense metro area. And how do you separate those and single those out? And these guys mm -hmm. were specifically working on things that dealt with GPS and mapping. And they were already at the point where they're trying they're evaluating, okay, is this street lamp that's Wi-Fi enabled a better solution than this underground wire 
or better than the standalone signs that we put up every couple of blocks or every block on the corner that couples as the crosswalk sign. So there are already guys that are trying to figure out how to put the infrastructure backbone together to make this possible. So right. it's, it's almost a question of when, um, not if. And it's just a matter of with a ready-mix truck, is that going to be how? And is it going to be smart? Is it going to be possible? Right. I happen to think in-transit monitoring is a huge step toward answering that question. Well, that's, that's interesting, and that was, a, that was a great segment. We love talking about that kind of uh, technology innovation, what we can expect in, in the future. And everyone we talk to from all different parts of the industry, they all have uh, unique viewpoints and unique thoughts, but it's all kind of pointed in the same direction. But uh, with that, though... We're not going to look forward as much. We're going to look back. What we ask every one of our guests is, what's the craziest thing you've seen on a job site? We've had some really cool stories. And, and Lee, we appreciate that you listen to the podcast. You listen to the episode, so you've heard some good ones. You know what you're up against here. Do you have anything to compete? I, I, I do. But knowing that I've got kids in college and high school that will probably listen to this, um, I might not want to recount some of those because... Yeah, um, you can't work downtown Atlanta and downtown Nashville over as many years as I did in the middle of the night for night pours down on Second Avenue, you know, down at Little Five Points and things like that without seeing things that just make you want to shake your head. You know, <laughs> the the level of stupidity of some people in the general public upon inebriation is just fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> and that was so eloquently put. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a soundbite. <laughs> he's he's very eloquent. He he swerved earlier right into like this nasty pit of political fervor and he swerved right back out of it went into his lane and then brought it right back to concrete it was incredible you have politics in your future sir oh god i hope not (laughs) yeah well this was originally joey bell's idea to have uh at some location and now that the world is is starting to travel more hopefully we can do this at a world concrete event or something but have a uh Add ten gallons after dark episode where we can get oh, together yeah. over over a beer or two and and share some of these stories that shall not be mentioned. Yeah, yeah. The um, you know, to fit in with some of the ones that have made the top list, I'll 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 give you my firearm story. So, we were actually um doing a white topping job. I don't know if you're familiar with white topping, the ultra thin mm-hmm. concrete overlay pavement. We were doing it in Clarksville, Tennessee, and um doing a major intersection there. And we had already had like two people in the middle of the night push, push, crawl, you know, just barrel through the, the safety. And we didn't have cones. We had like the big round safety barrels with the blinking lights on top. We already had one or two people just go in between them and hit the fresh concrete and realize they're in it and stop and back up. Our finishers were already mad, you know, having to fix that twice. So here it is. We've been working for about 30, 32 hours straight. We are finishing up. And this is 10, 30, 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning. Some cat daddy, drunk as a skunk, just goes through the barrels and just driving down the lane, man. And even turns left into the hotel. Yeah, he drove down the lane probably, oh, 150, 200 feet down the lane of fresh concrete. And then turns into the hotel where we're all staying, you know. He jumped the curb and went into the hotel and gets out stumbling. Well, we're staying there. So the guys who have to fix that, the finishers that just got through fixing this twice already saw that 
he threw his trowel at him. He was put, he was cleaning up his tools and putting them in the truck. Threw the trowel at him. The guy pops off the mouth. He goes to the truck, gets a pistol, and is walking across the parking lot. Luckily, the cops that were there doing traffic control saw all this and were already headed that way. And then they took off running, you know, to get in between the guys. But I, I swear, man, if those cops hadn't been there, that that would have been a whole lot different ending and been a, been something pretty bad, I would think. Because you know, you just concrete finishing is an art. You know, those guys work for a living. I did it just, in, I did that in Rod Bustin long enough to know I got to go to school. <laughs> that is work man and and to have your work ruined like that by some drunk man it was he was pissed that was yeah that was that was one of the craziest things i saw for sure there you go that was a good one that was a good one we appreciate that i got one other one though because it it takes if there was stupid awards um for sales reps that this guy would have gotten one Okay. <laughs> it's Franklin, Tennessee. It's a pump job. It's like a 150 yards elevated deck pour. Okay. It's on the, I can't, I honestly don't remember if it was second or third floor. I think it was the second floor, but it, it might've been the third because it, it was a long way up there. But this sales rep comes up to the, and it was a, it was a pretty good well-known contractor in, in the metro area at the time. And these guys wanted to demo a riding trial. It was a double blade, you know, two blade riding trial. And he pulls it up on a trailer, all brand new, you know, and I'm thinking, I've never seen anybody trial an elevated metal deck before. What in the heck is this guy doing? You know, you never need a hard trial finish on an elevated metal deck that I can remember. So they have the, you know, safety cables along the deck with the ribbons to keep everybody safe, right? Well, they had one corner open and that's where the pump boom had gone in. So I'm down there by the pump working. We get finished with the pour and the guy's cleaning out the pump. We had a truck stay so he could recycle through the, the pump to the drum of the truck for cleanup. So they fly this riding trial up through that gap in the wire and get this guy on it to start demoing it on this this elevated metal deck. And we hear that thing up there just, you know, whining, going going crazy. And I'm standing there by the pump talking to the pump operator. And the pump operator saying, you know, what kind of crazy fool wants to hard trial an elevated metal deck? And about that time, we hear this zing, 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 zing. We look up, and the guy driving that thing had hit a lever, kicked it into high gear, done something. He didn't know what he was doing. He just took a straight right-hand turn, came off that deck because the cables were gone, and came slammed down within like 15 feet of me and the pump guy at the back of the pump. Wham! Broke his ankle. And he cracked he a stayed on it the whole time? Yeah, he, he hooked his... He, we heard that wing, you know, the blade spinning coming across. The look on that guy's face would have been a priceless meme, you know. It would have been just absolutely one of the best construction memes ever. Beautiful sunny day, not a cloud in the sky. Why, is, why are you on a riding trial with no concrete underneath you, right? So he's he just hooks his arms underneath the thing, and luckily he'd buckled into it. And it hits, not quite flat, but almost. So it, it you know, it just... Came off and droom, dropped like a rock. Something off the Jetsons, man. He slammed that thing down. I mean, it was fresh from the factory. Gone. So, so what, all, what all did he break? Broke his ankle, cracked a couple of ribs, had a, had a concussion because he snapped his head against the something on the side. You know, it was crazy. It, it was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. I guarantee you that guy's not demoing any riding trials on the elevated metal deck no more. I guess. Dummy. Oh my god. <laughs> that's a good one. That's that's one of the that's one of the best ones. That's 
nominated for the best craziest thing I've ever seen award. Yeah, I mean, and it's application specific. It's not like the guy got loose from the hospital next door. Like this was <laughs> yeah. legit. The dude rode the power trowel off, off the of- roof. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I'm, I'm practically speechless over here. Like when you were telling that story, I'm thinking. No, no, he just got close to the edge. Maybe Hit the if, if it's, since it's a double blade, maybe like one of the blades like went swinging off and he caught himself or something. Oh my god! Oh boy, went full sand offer. Full <laughs> sand. And if you you know if you ever been out on a big slab, you know, big warehouse slab when they're we're moving from one area to the other, you know, I mean you when they crank, I mean they can go, man. They they yeah. can move. And when you're talking about you know maybe just a thirty foot wide section of this deck. He's off on the far side, and he just, he, he gets, I don't know. I don't know if it was the controllers on that one were different what he's used to, or if, <laughs> if that was his first day on one. I have no idea, you know. He lived to tell about it, but he didn't walk away. Bless his heart. Mm. Mm. But, yeah. Well, dang. That's a heck See, of a way to end the episode, Lee. We appreciate you, man. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, we hope we hope to see you around uh, in person, wherever that may be. We'll keep in touch with you, but we certainly appreciate your time here on the podcast. Yeah, man. Tell Joey I hope everything's going well, and uh, uh, we he wants to do it after dark. We'll meet up somewhere for sure. <laughs> yeah, we're we're for that idea. All right, man. Yeah, thanks, if, Yeah, and if you oh. guys by chance are coming to thinking about coming to ASTM or ACI, both of them are in Atlanta this fall. We could use the support for sure. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely something we've talked about, and we'll we'll catch up with you on that as well. Yep. Next month, right? October. Yep. 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 And ASTM's in December. For sure. But eight, yep. yeah, I'm on the local ACI committee. So, yeah, we're looking for that one to be a good one. We hope it will be the first in person one in a long time. So, all right, looking forward to it. All right, Lee, take care, man. Thanks a lot. Yep, thanks. Yep. See you. All right, and that's going to do it for us here for episode 22 of the Add 10 Gallons Concrete Podcast. Thanks a lot to Lee for the great stories, insight, and background from his time at the CIM program and the education that he got there as an OG in the program uh, to where he is now with Command Alcon and all the great technology that they're bringing to the job site uh, and what we can expect moving forward. But in the meantime, uh, go ahead and hit us up on social media as mentioned in the podcast We have Facebook, Instagram, and a YouTube page to keep you entertained between episodes. Hit us up and look us up by searching Add 10 Gallons. Also, tell a friend about the podcast, rate and review us, download the episodes, and we'll continue to grow this thing and keep coming at you with great guests just like Lee for the foreseeable future. But uh, between now and then, y'all be good, and we'll see you on the next one.